today's podcast, we will discuss the challenges and opportunities for competition policy in the digital space, both from an enforcement as well as an advocacy perspective. Michiel, the economy is rapidly going digital, and this has an important impact on the underlying economics of the market and also in the way uh, market players uh, interact. This brings new questions and challenges for competition authorities. In your role as a director of competition at the ACM, which would you highlight as the key areas where these developments bring either challenges or opportunities uh, for competition policy? Yes, thank you. Well, I'll probably highlight three or four areas. To begin with, you know, there's this concern which we label uh, the, the winner-takes-all concern, where the concern is that the tech giants um, of the planet, the Google, the Facebook, you know, what they sometimes refer to as the big five, that they're reaping um, all the benefits of, of a winner-take-all take world, that they become too big, that they may foreclose uh, the market for... Uh, other players and that they um, uh, could abuse uh, that that position. So that's a major concern. Secondly, uh, there's some concerns uh, in relation to the use of algorithms uh, and the question whether algorithms can be used to collude. And, and thirdly, there's uh, the issue of data. And um, again, the concern that some mainly big companies are sitting on large piles of data which which basically gives them a monopoly uh, position. One of the most heated debates currently confronts those who defend a wait-and-see approach of competition policy or even laissez-faire regarding these developments and those who argue that if competition authorities choose not to step in they will lose momentum to the detriment of an efficient response. Where would you place yourself in this debate? Well, I'm afraid I probably position myself somewhere in the middle um, because in my opinion uh, the political and the societal concerns about the issues that we just discussed um, they're justified given the relentless disruption that we see in all kinds of markets so it's only right I think that that we give this issue our attention however the fact that these concerns may be justified does not necessarily mean in my view uh, that there's massive antitrust issues across the board. But it does, does mean, I think, that a laissez-faire approach, as you call it, simply trusting innovation and competition and free markets to solve all issues, I don't think that's, that's feasible either. So we have to be on top of developments and we have to deal with cases and we have to do investigations. On the other hand, I think an authority should be uh, think very carefully about enforcement and, and about the timing of that enforcement because if you enforce too soon, um, then you run the risk of, of false pos positives and, and that may have you know, negative consequences for the in innovation that we're trying to protect as competition agencies. Well, indeed, Michiel, but also if we act too late, then network effects may have settled in to a, a very large extent, so timing is crucial uh, in the um, intervention of competition authorities. And in this, also cooperation between competition authorities to share views and experiences uh, can certainly prove very important. But let me now turn to another topic that is growing ever more topical, and this is the role of algorithms in consumer welfare through two main channels, their potential impacts in terms of facilitating collusion and in allowing for a more effective price discrimination by firms. What are your views on this? Well, in terms of algorithms, uh, to, to begin with, um, 
uh, yes, you know, it's, it's possible thanks to technology and the use of data for online retailers, for example, to, get, to engage in price changes at a pace and at a frequency that was unknown in the, in the offline world. Um, when the past prices were changed manually, um, it's now often an automated process that is executed by, uh, by algorithms. And these algorithms determine the price on the basis of sometimes countless uh, data points, such as demand, quantity in stock, uh, prices of competitors, and, uh, and sometimes even the changes in, in weather. Now, in many cases, I think the outcomes of these algorithms are defined by humans, um, but developments in machine learning also make algorithms more and more self-learning. And a specific concern uh, for us and for competition authorities throughout the world is that these self-learning algorithms could form automated cartels. And, and to stay on top of these developments, um, the ACM is currently investigating how, how that might work, so how, how algorithms uh, may affect prices in selected markets and whether collusion um, between algorithms already occurs. Um, and we try to do that on a qualitative uh, basis and where possible also on a quantitative basis by doing um, simulations. But that's very much uh, the sort of explorative work we do to, to try and understand what's going on and to, to try and get a handle on, on the potential risks and um, to, to, to come beyond you know, the, the theoretical discussion of these risks. So that's on, um, on algorithms. Then you refer to personalized pricing. Um, again, prices and, 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 and offers being made to, uh, to consumers are becoming more and more personalized in digital markets. And we all know the examples uh, with airline tariffs, for example, that depend on the time of the booking. Um, algorithms also help us to, to find you know, hotels, um, et cetera, et cetera. And in the consumer protection domain, um, these personalized offerings based on personal profiles lead mainly to concerns, I think, about privacy, so not necessarily uh, competition issues, but uh, online privacy. Um, but there are also concerns about price discrimination. And the most extreme form of personalization in an economic sense is individual price discrimination, so that each consumer pays exactly the amount of money that they're willing uh, to pay. Again, I think there are currently very limited um, real-life examples of this, but the technological possibilities make it likely that personalization will be increasingly used in, in more and more different uh, contexts. And I think at the moment, the balance between the possible efficiencies and the harms of this practice, the balance between that is unclear. Uh, on the one hand, consumers may benefit from information that is tailored to their preferences, but tailored prices might also lead to results that are perceived as unfair, and particularly it might lead to exclusion of the, um, uh, you know, the less engaged, um, uh, tech-savvy uh, consumers. It may also lead to the skimming off of consumer surplus by businesses. Um, and I think the current Consumer and Competition Toolkit offers few opportunities to deal with that and to combat unwanted forms of uh, personalization. Um, so um, I, I, I don't think that um, in, the, in the absence of market power, though, um, I don't think that uh, it's plausible that price discrimination will lead to anti-competitive concerns. 
So I, I, I think in terms of competition enforcement, um, if you enforce uh, now, I don't think it will lead to positive results per se for, uh, for consumers. I think this is typically an issue which calls for a, a public debate about what is the desired level of personalization from a, uh, a societal perspective. Um, and, and I think there's an important role to play there for politicians and policy makers and not so much for us as a competition agency. So Michiel, to sum up what you said, first, it is, in, it is key to untangle what is an issue for competition policy and what's something else. Now, then second, uh, preparation is key for keeping pace with market developments. And finally, there is also the issue of what societies expect from competition uh, authorities, and I will come back to this point uh, in a moment. But before that, I would like to address a topic where both the DC and the ACM have recently taken a stance on, namely the FinTech challenge. The ACM issued a paper on FinTech. What were the main conclusions, um, and what impact do you expect both the paper and the recommendations of the ACM will have in the market? Yes, thanks, Joel. Let me first of, all, first of all say that I think, you know, the, the fintech is a, a very good example um, of where technology is driving um, innovations which, um, well, which leads to, um, um, you know, improve our lives in, in sometimes small but very meaningful ways. So I think, um, you know, we see, we see very good innovations there. Uh, I think... Um, in the in the payment markets, which is what we looked at specifically, um, that is particularly no, no, noticeable. You see many innovations in the in the payments market, and the the introduction of PSD two, uh, which of course is going to uh, um, is going to require uh, the incumbent incumbent banks to share the transaction data that they have um, with uh, fintechs that like to make use of that and develop services. Uh, using that data, um, in our view, you know, that holds an even greater promise uh, for fintech. Uh, so um, we welcome that development. Um, at the same time, um, we have concerns um, that the incumbent banks, you know, have a strong incentive and that they also have the means to, to, frustrate, to frustrate that development and to frustrate that sharing of data. Um, because it hits them at the very heart of something that's really important to them as well, namely uh, the relationship with the customer and the direct contact with the customer. And of course, the transactional data that they derive from that contact, um, they can use to cross-sell their own products uh, and services. So um, therefore, you know, they may have an incentive to be not too eager uh, to share that data. And, um, Basically, that was the main conclusion from our study, that there's a real, a real risk that banks um, will try and do what they can do, um, not, not to share that, that data. And, uh, and that's what we pointed out uh, in our study. We're not saying, by the way, that we see banks foreclosing new entrants uh, on, on, on a big scale at the moment. We're also not suggesting that banks um, will be excluding all fintech companies. In fact, we see um, uh, many instances uh, at the moment as well, whereby there's close cooperation between banks and fintechs as well. 
because they realize you know it enhances the value of their proposition and it's important as to you know to to incorporate it as part of their eco ecosystem um but what we don't want and that's the main point what we don't want that it is the banks deciding who should gain access and who shouldn't gain access uh, to the account. We think that should be left to the market, and, and that's the risk we highlighted. Um, you're asking me what what do I um, what do I expect uh, to be the impact of the study that we did and the conclusion that we drew and the recommendations that we that we made. Um, well, I think this is a very good example of the advocacy work uh, that we do. Um, and I think it's very important that we do it because uh, particularly in the financial sector um, where, which is regulated very tightly in very many, many ways, um, where you have the issue of financial stability, where you have the issue of consumer protection, it is very easy, there's a, there's, there's, there's a big risk that the, the public interest of, of co competition uh, snows under. So uh, that's why we do these kind of studies and that's why we highlight the risks. And what we expect from it is, uh, you know, a much greater awareness of the, of the importance of competition on the one hand, and also um, it is meant to be a signal to the incumbents. You know, we will be, we'll be monitor monitoring this and will be ready and willing uh, to use the powers that we have, uh, should we feel um, PSD two, uh, the PSD two promise is not. Uh, bringing what it should be bringing. Michiel, to wrap up, all these developments create new expectations from the civil society regarding competition authorities, big data, algos, big techs, privacy, a whole new world. Do you think we have the legal framework and the tools to live up to the expectations that are placed upon competition authorities? Yes, well, I, I think there's two parts to that answer because on the one hand, I think you're right that society and politicians have huge expectations and ever-growing expectations of competition authorities to deal with a whole range of issues, um, be it fake news or be it um, issues to do with democ democracy or with, with privacy, where you can question whether it is actually um, a rightful expectation to look at competition authorities to deal with this. Uh, at the same time, you know, the expectation is there, so we cannot ignore it, and, and we need to deal with it in, in one way or another. Um, and, and I think we can do that by trying to establish a dialogue with politicians and with society about, um, you know, what we can and what we can't do and what they can and cannot reasonably expect um, for a competition law uh, to... Um, uh, to do in, in, in solving these issues. So that's, that's one part of the question. And then there's the domain where, you know, there is a rightful expectation for competition law to deal with the issues. Uh, when you talk about the concern of um, abuse of um, a, a dominant position, uh, when you talk about access to data, when you talk about uh, the risk of algorithms being used uh, to collude, and, and, and my view would be that, that gener generally um, there is not per se um, a need for new concepts or, or for new instruments. And I think generally, um, you know, the, 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 the traditional uh, competition uh, toolbox, uh, toolbox um, you know, is, is fit for pur purpose. But that doesn't mean it, it's going to be easy and it doesn't mean that we need to think 
very hard about the application of that toolbox um, because, for example, um, bringing a case of abuse of market power that takes time, um, it has an uncertain outcome, and in many cases the harm will be done by the time you finish, so it may be too late to solve the problem in the market. And that's why at ACM, for example, we called for an evaluation of the balance between ex-ante ex -ante regulation on the one hand and ex-post enforcement on the other hand. Um, and just to give another example, I just mentioned algorithms. I think algorithms that's going to pose a, a challenge to us, particularly in terms of detection. Uh, not, not so much um, in, in the enforcement once we've established that there is collusion because I think the traditional thinking is equally applicable. But, but how do you detect these things? That, that is going to be harder. Indeed, very clearly put. Uh, Michiel, thank you very much for the clear and, and straightforward way in which you address all the topics. It was a pleasure having this Comcast with you. Thank you very much. Thank you.